As you do that, I'd love to have you take your Bibles, if you have one handy with you there, and turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, the study sheet in your bulletin I know will be a help to you. I wanted to show you a little something I received um, this morning from one of our little girls. Um, I'll explain it. It'll bear explaining. Uh, Ben mentioned our dinner in the park. Uh, There was a soccer game going on with some of our folks. I had my kite up, and there was discussion about this. Well, this young lady drew a picture of my kite stuck in a tree. (laughs) And I said, so, Charlie Brown, is that, I mean... Predictive, I hope not. But anyway, I've got a picture of me flying a kite. So there you go. That's always good when somebody, somebody appreciates all of that. Got your Bibles open, your study sheet. I want to tell you another little story here that will lead us into the text. A story from my grade school years that was very formative to me. And um, boy, it takes us right where we're going today. I think I was probably second or third grade. And a day after school, getting ready to get on the buses and all that, uh, kids playing in the gym. You know, when you're, when you're in second grade, the big kids are like the fifth graders, you understand. So the big kids were playing some kind of dodgeball thing. And one of the guys, you know, one of the big kids, you know, got out of the way of a ball, hit the ground, jumped back up. And anyway, it was pretty cool. And I commented to him about how cool that was. And in my comment, um, some words came out that did not normally leave my mouth. I admit, at the moment, I went, huh, wonder where that came from. Well, unbeknownst to me at the moment, I was soon to find out, one of my big sisters, we have four big sisters, you just get away with nothing. One of them was somewhere in earshot, I didn't notice, and you know, as soon as as we got home, I know, it's what big sisters are for, they tell on you. I think I know who it was, we've never discussed it. Uh, (laughs) She told my mom. I know. And before long, I was being called to the back porch. Now, some of you old schoolers are thinking a couple of things here. Um, uh, How many of you had the soap treatment? You you don't have to tell me, but some of you know. The bar of soap, it'll make you, it's awful. You'll never talk like that again. My mom did not do the bar of soap. It was worse. Um, Some of you have had the trip to the woodshed. I will not ask for a show of hands. You know what that means. If you're younger, that means you're, you're going to get a serious whooping. No, no trip to the woodshed. But my mom sat me down on the back porch, and she told me a couple of things. I, I would have preferred the bar of soap. She told me, first of all, how disappointed she was in me. I mean, that's terrible. You disappoint your mother. She was disappointed at me that her son would use God's name like that. And then she told me how disappointed God was with me. And of course, when you're young, God and your mama are kind of wed, it, you know, it's kind of one entity, but she told me how disappointed God was with me. And then she had me pray. You will now pray and you will tell God exactly how sorry you are. And, uh, I did. And I was, and then she left. And of course I was there feeling awful. Um, I, I think that afternoon was formative for me. In that, as years went by and I entered junior high, while other words exited my mouth, that day seemed to have cured me like an inoculation of ever struggling to use the name of God again. Other words came through, but not the names of God. I don't know how that worked, but it did. Today we come to the third commandment, 
as you know, working our way through the Ten Commandments this summer, thinking not only about them as Old Testament, we often think Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, a bunch of rules. Are they, you know, what do we do with them? Are they still in effect? People sometimes ask. And we're talking about all of that, how you read Old Testament scripture, how you interact with the whole Bible. And yes, it's all for us today. And and we're going commandment by commandment over the 10 weeks of summer. And we've done some introductory things a couple weeks ago about how to how to deal with some of the, the textual issues. But this morning, we're going to hone in on that that third commandment. What does it mean to honor God's name? Or not to honor his name. Is it just about the words you say? Is it just about what we say sometimes cussing? Is that it? Or is there more to it? Maybe, maybe those are things you struggle with in terms of speaking. Uh, maybe they're not. But before you check off the box and say, I don't talk like that. Hold on, my dear friend. Because there's more to this commandment than meets the eye. And we want to go there today. All of this, of course, believe me, it points us to Jesus. It does. It points us to Jesus because however, however the commandments in the Bible fall, we all keep them poorly, don't we? And every one of us needs a savior. And I hope that that comes through with all that we say today about the name of God. I want to pray for us and we're going to jump right in and look together to to God's word. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for being to us the God who, who speaks, the God who has spoken here in the, in the written word of God, your living authoritative word here that we meet you. Lord, every one of us needs to be with you. We need you to shape our hearts and our desires and our appetites. We need you to turn us away from sin, to shape the things that we long for. Oh, God, help us. We need you in our families, in our job situations. Some today come very aware of areas of need. Maybe others less so felt need anyway. But our Father today, as we open your word, pull us close. Drive us toward Christ. Open your word to us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There at the top of your study sheet, as always, you find some elements of review, and I always like to remind us of where we've been. If you want to pick up past sermons, you can do that, either CDs in the back or find us online, and you can see what we've said about some of these elements. So I will, I will let you, let you do that with those elements of review. For our purposes today, I want to go to two categories, and again, I like to have you see where I'm going, because it'll make more sense, a little map. Um, I want to talk about the name idea. What's in a name? And then I want to talk specifically about this third command. And I want to, I want to make sure that there's time at the end of the day to, to kind of rest for a few minutes on implications and response. And you'll understand more about that as we get there. But I want to go, first of all, to this idea of a name. Before we talk about misusing a name, I ask the question, what's in a name? And of course, if you're one of those literary people, you know right away, that's William Shakespeare, isn't it? William Shakespeare said, what's in a name? And of course, his comment about roses, well, Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name? Well, in Bible times, here's some things we need to know. In Bible times, the concept of name was viewed very different from in our day. And um, I'm going to read a couple of things. I'd like to tell you my resources, because you can go there too. Um, page here from the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. There are a lot of good things like that that you too can access. 
But it's, it discusses the idea of name. In our day, when we name our kids, we often uh, pick names, well, that we like, or somebody we like was named that, or grandma or grandpa or whatever. It's a family name or whatever we do. It sounds good with our last name. Uh, You've got to think about these things. When Bible times, there was much more thought given to, to the idea of the meaning of a name. In fact, throughout the pages of the Bible, you will find in some cases names that were changed when there was a big life event. Um, you find that with Jacob, who later was called Israel. Uh, you'll find that with, with Simon, who then was given the name Peter. Or Joseph in the book of Acts, who was given the name Barnabas, son of encouragement. So sometimes names were changed midstream because of some significant event. Well, when we think about name then, um, just a few excerpts from this Bible encyclopedia. The writer in this paragraph says this. In Bible times, the notion of name had a significance it does not have today. When a person gave his name to another... It signified the joining of the two in very close unity. I stop for a minute. That's the idea behind marriage. In our traditional marriage, where the woman takes the man's name and people today, I I understand different feelings about that. I'm just saying, that didn't just come out of nowhere. It wasn't just some dumb tradition. It came from this. The idea that back in the day, if you took someone's name, you you were identified with them. Okay? You You were one with them. That's the idea. So taking of a name was not just a tradition or some legal thing. It, it had great significance to it. To continue, to be baptized into, into, into someone's name. Right? It means to pass into new ownership. We, we often use a baptismal phrase. You know, I baptize you in the name. You can also say that baptized into the name of, of Jesus, the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's to identify a close unity not things to be taken casually, not just something you say. In the scriptures, he says, there, there's a closest possible relationship between a person and their name. So if you say the name, that person's name, and you speak badly about their name, well, that sounds dumb. That's to cast some kind of you know, aspersions on them. There's an intimate relationship between the name and the person. All right? So to honor one, to honor a name is to honor the person. To honor the person would be to respect their name. Now, in the Bible then, the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, as we'll see in a minute, signifies God in all the attributes he's manifested. In other words, to think about the name of God is then to include everything that's true about God. So it's not just a name, a word as we often would say, to be sent, a couple more, to be sent or to speak in someone's name was to carry that person's authority. I come to you in the name of, man, that's a big deal. You represent them in a big way. And then finally, to pray, the writer says, to pray in the name of Jesus. That's a significant thing. It's to pray as his representative on earth, in his spirit, with his aim, and it suggests the closest possible union with God. So, boy, what's in a name? Now, looking at your study sheet, I give you a a quote here from Walter Kaiser, eminent theologian, uh, big fat commentary on, on Exodus. And he says, God's name includes, it includes his person, his character, his authority, his power, his reputation. All of those are included. When you speak about 
the name of God. It's inclusive of who he is, not just a phrase, not just a term. Now, because I want to deal with this issue of name, okay? You understand what I'm doing? This is all prelude to really looking at that third commandment. But the biblical idea of a name, there are two other texts here in uh, the book of Exodus. And I'm not going to go too far from Exodus 20, um, but I want to go to Exodus 3. I asked you to go to Exodus 20. I, I understand. Be right back. Exodus, Exodus 3. Fighting a bit of a, a voice issue today, a little cold going on. Sorry about that. In Exodus 3, there's a powerful moment that describes the name, okay? This is a big deal in the Bible, this text. This is when Moses is being talked to by God with that, with that fire, that flame, uh, the bush that's on fire, right? The burning bush, Moses and the burning bush. And God is, wants to send him to, to, to Egypt to bring his people out. And Moses wants nothing to do with it. Remember this? He's coming up with all kinds of reasons why this is a bad idea. I don't talk very well. My brother Aaron would be far better at this. I'm busy here. I got a bunch of sheep. Well, he doesn't quite say that. But as part of that conversation, verse 13, he says, you know, if I go to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Wow. And God answers. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And he goes on from there. This is my name. He says a little later, this is my name forever. Thus it, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The name. Now that's a very interesting name. It's unlike anything else. It does not like a name that we would use. And there's a reason for that. I am who I am. Oh my goodness. There's so much to be said here. I could not, uh, I could spend the rest of the morning dealing only with this, that issue. I am who I am. The idea is that God is the only self-existent one. You're not. You had a beginning. You'll have an end. God is the only one who has always been, who is, and who always will be. Uh, you could look at this a variety of ways. I was, I am, I will be. Um, here's where we get the name Yahweh. You've heard that term. Um, Typically, a Jewish crowd would not say that name. They would use just, they would leave the vowels out, just go with consonants. This is where the name Jehovah comes from. If you deal with things grammatically, um, the, the name of God, a holy thing. Now, you remember also from some of your Bible study, right, that Jesus referenced this moment in John chapter eight, didn't he? And he got in big trouble for it, but he did it on purpose. Remember the Jewish people were discussing some things with him. And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And he, he, knowing the audience, he referenced Exodus three and took the name of, of almighty God and said, that's me. When the Jewish crowd understood it immediately, they knew chapter and verse what he was doing when he claimed the name of God. And it says they took up stones to stone him. They knew exactly what he meant. That's a study in Christology. But this moment, the name, the name, the self-existent God, it was intended to have great weightiness, great significance. Now, I put here on your study sheet a couple of other names that meant something, like Esau and Jacob and, and others, where there's a meaning specifically attached. And I want to go to one more before I find my way back to Exodus 20. 
And that's Exodus 34, where the name, the name of God shows up. Again, each of these texts, I, I almost feel bad going there for a moment because there is so much weighty material here. But I, I do it anyway because I think it helps us in Exodus 20. In Exodus 34, we're moving past Mount Sinai, getting into the Ten Commandments and so on. We're, we're moving ahead in the story quite a ways. And there's this other conversation that God has with Moses. And he's, remember the, the other two tablets of uh, coming down off the mountain have been shattered. It's that conversation. And then it says, and I just pick up in verse 5. It says this, the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, and look at this, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. What did he do? Since he proclaimed, he proclaimed the name. Well, let's go on. Uh, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Here's what what God's going to say. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And of course, we saw last week in Exodus 20, very similar phraseology attached to it of those who hate me. Iniquity of the fathers, visit on the children of those who hate me. Now, I'm just saying this. As God proclaims his name, what's he doing here? He's explaining what he's like. He's explaining his character. So he says, I'm going I'm to declare my name. I'm going to explain my name to you. And as he does it, he says, here's what I'm like. Here's what I'm like. So his character is attached to the name. Okay, back to Exodus 20. Back to Exodus 20. Oh, my goodness. I want, to, I want to read now. I haven't read the text yet. Exodus 20, 1 through 7. And then I want to, I've got a couple more things I want to look at, but I want you to hear it. I want you to hear the prohibition. Exodus 20 then, verse 1. We read this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So you remember, uh, we spoke about this two weeks ago. God speaks identifies himself as the savior. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name, the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And again, I'm asking, is it just about the words? How important those are? Yes. Is there more? You shall not do this. Now, if you look at your study sheet, I got a couple more details under name. Okay, the NIV, of course, is going to say misuse more on that in a minute to treat God's name lightly. Please get this is to treat him lightly. Okay, you with me here to treat God's name lightly because his name represents all that is true about him to treat his name lightly is to treat him lightly. Now, if I may go just a little excursus here about this lightly idea. 
Oh my goodness sakes. There's a biblical stream that runs about the weightiness of God's name and his glory. And again, I just touch on certain things. I hope as I preach to whet your appetite to study the word of God and, and see more. Okay. So there's, there's a, there's a term that's used uh, in the Bible for, for, to talk about God and his glory. And it's the word kavod. And I'm going to use it. I don't always throw terms around, but I'm going to today because it'll, it's going to connect with you in just a moment here. All right. Kavod, kavod. Now there's a, a part of that, the root part of that Hebrew word that sometimes means weight. It's used to mean physical weight. Like Eli, it says in his older age was, was, was heavy. Okay. Or Absalom and his hair, his hair was heavy. So there's one part of that word that can go there. But the word kavod used about God is to speak with that same stream of weightiness to speak of his glory. All right. And again, keep all these things. Oh my goodness sakes. They connect. You got to stay with me to see how they connect. Kavod, glory, weightiness. That per- you know what I mean by that? Sometimes a person comes in and there's, there's presence. Right? Some people sneak in, you don't notice. There are other people who have a, a weighty presence. And so the term glory, as it's used of God, comes from that same stream, the weightiness. Now, if you remember back some of your Bible stories, 1 Samuel 4, there's a moment back in the Eli days, early days of the kingdom, right? Where, where Eli is the, is the priest, and my goodness sakes, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. There's an army out, out at war, and that day, the Ark of God, right? Familiar with that? Ark of God is taken captive, right? And the, the battle's going poorly, and Eli hears about it. He's older, heavy. The term is used there of him. He's heavy, and his daughter-in-law, is about to give birth. All these things happening the same day. He gets word back. His two sons have died. And the ark has been taken captive. So it's a bad day. Eli falls off the bench backwards. Breaks his neck. Dies. Daughter-in-law gives birth. And names her son. What? Ichabod. Or Ikavod. And it's translated therefore in the text. The glory has departed. Kavod, you hear the term sometimes Ichabod, which right from the Bible, it's first Samuel four. It's not a happy name. I don't know why you name your kid that the glory has departed. Sorry, if you're an Ichabod in the room, no offense intended. Ikavod, the glory has departed his name and his birth, marking the moment that that symbol of God's glory, God's weightiness was, was, was leaving town. So Ikavod, glory, no glory, the glory's gone. And kavod, glory, the weightiness of God. And I'm saying here, to treat God's name lightly is to treat him lightly, the opposite of weighty, the opposite of glory. Now, not quite done. This is a big deal. If you miss this part, you miss the text. You miss everything we're going to say about the third commandment. So this is an important important detail. I, I want to reference three other moments where you see the weightiness of God's presence highlighted Okay, there are a lot of them in the Bible. I just grabbed three because they're kind of close in proximity to this text. So Leviticus 10, I'm I'm not going to turn to these. I'm going to tell you the stories. You can look them up yourself, check them out. But this is where they're at. Leviticus 10, there's a story about two guys, two guys who were were priests. They They were two of Aaron's kids, Nadab and Abihu. 
And they were supposed to be a part of this group bringing sacrifices into the presence of God. This is before Jesus. So animal sacrifices were brought and their blood was shed. And that's how sin was covered before Jesus came. The Bible tells this whole story. Old Testament sacrifices didn't pay for sin. They covered sin until the day that Jesus, the perfect lamb, would come and pay for it all. All right? So back in that day, Nadab and Abihu, it says, came in and they offered, the text says, they offered strange fire before the Lord. Now, from the text, the the surrounding context, it would appear they may have been drunk, hammered, as they came in to bring in the sacrifices. That's implied in the text in the sense that right after this is, is talked about with the events, Right after that, God says, when you walk into my presence, you'd be putting the bottle down. Don't you be walking into my presence like that. So he has a little speech about that. So there would seem to be some connection. But nevertheless, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord, and God struck them dead. Well, that's kind of an attention getter. And God said, I have it there in your study sheet. Part of what God said, he said, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Isn't that a striking phrase? By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Nadab and Abihu, you didn't do that. And you know, it's not the way you do it. Now, another example, uh, Leviticus 24. This takes you to those three differentiations of the law. Up above, Two weeks ago, we differentiated between the ceremonial law, civil law, and the moral law. And if you weren't here for that, what I'm going to say now will make more sense if you pick up that sermon, find it online. There were elements in the Old Testament law that were civil law. They were aimed at the nation of Israel. Okay? They said things about what God was like, but they were specific to the nation of Israel. So it is. Leviticus 24 tells a story. Some guy's out doing his normal life, and it says... In a moment of desperation or exasperation, he, he blasphemed the name and cursed. Now, that was a big deal. And people heard him. They didn't just tell their mother and take him to the back porch and make him feel bad. No, this was, it was even worse. They brought this guy before the, the, the civil leaders, and they said, we heard him blaspheme the name. And they had like this trial and they, they executed the guy. It was a capital crime. I'm just saying, under the civil law, nation, Israel, that was a capital crime. So you say, well, now, you know, no big deal. I mean, he's just a, just a name. And back in that day, especially, they said, oh, no, no, no. It isn't just a name. Interestingly enough, I don't know how much you read some of these different things. A lot of folks today in the, in the Jewish crowd are still just about that protective of the name of God. Okay. Uh, Recently, Kathy and I were at a conference. One of the books that we were given as freebies at the conference was written to a Jewish crowd. And if you look at the book all the way through beginning to end, they, they leave out the vowels of the name of someone that says God, they'll go G dash D or L dash R D for Lord. All right. You might say, well, man, this guy's, must, must have been missing on the typewriter. No, 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 no. It wasn't by mistake. It was on purpose because the idea was the name of God is so holy. I don't want to misspell it. I don't want to misuse it. So I'm going to 
There's a whole history there, whole lesson in itself. But even today, I'm saying some that address the Jewish crowd will do that. The name of G dash D. You might think what's going on. That's what it is, is a profound sense of the, the reverence for the name of God. Interesting. There's Leviticus 24. And then one other little story about the holiness with which God was calling people to come to him. First Chronicles 13. Again, back in the day, uh, the ark, of course, had been taken captive. It was going to be brought back from the Philistines. And it, it, indeed, it, there it was. It was time to move it from one place to another. Now, pay attention to this story. They were going to move it, and they didn't read the owner's manual. Okay? They didn't. They, they, they believed something that our culture believes, and you may believe too. They believed that if your heart is sincere, everything's good. They did. If, you're, if your heart is sincere, God's good with whatever you do. Uh, actually, that doesn't pass muster with the Bible. Don't know if you know that. Just being sincere is not enough because you can be sincerely, what is it? Wrong. You can be sincerely wrong and go right off a cliff. I was sure the road was there. I was sincere about it. I kept going 70. Well, there's a cliff there and you're going to die. Yeah, but I was sincere. It's impossible. Well, okay, the ark is back. It's time to move it. They didn't consult the owner's manual. And it says they got the band. They got the worship crew there. They're singing, doing a worship service. And they put the ark, that representation of the kavod, the glory of God, stuck out of the back of an ox cart and had some cows drag, you know, wheel it along. Cows, cows now are going to carry this symbol of the presence of the Holy God. That's not the way it's supposed to be done, but they didn't check, but they got a worship service going on and along they walk. And this guy Uzzo, great guy. Apparently he's, he's walking along next to the ark and there's a moment, the oxen stumble and it kind of, the ark kind of totters a little bit. And Uzzah puts up his hand to steady it. And he touches what represents the Holy God, and God struck him dead. David was mad. The text says David was mad, like mad at God. Like we were sincere. We had a great worship thing going on and bam, you take, boom, take him out. Seriously. You read the text. It's kind of like that. And they parked that ark there and said, fine, it's going to stay right there. And off we go. Well, they did. And God blessed that house and family and things were going great. And then they got ready to move it again. And this time they checked the owner's manual. How, how are we supposed to do this? And you read about this and it's first Chronicles 15. You get David's commentary on, oh, note to self. You don't make up your own rules. Listen, you don't make up your own rules about how you come to God. He tells you how to come. And of course, he tells us all to come through Jesus in these days, doesn't he? Well, First Chronicles 15 then, it's time to move the ark again. There's no cows involved. <laughs> no, they got the right people, the Levites, to come pick up the ark. They had another worship service. David says, I know why that happened last time. I know what happened to Uzzah. We did not treat God rightly. We treated him lightly. No, no kavod, no glory, a kavod. Okay, now all of that takes us to the next section, Okay. So if you want to look at your study sheet there, what does it mean then to misuse the name of God? I'm looking at Exodus 20 then. Wow. Several things I want to say. First, certainly, certainly this does apply 
to ways in which people sometimes use God's name in a casual or flippant way or as a curse. As I tell you, it means more. I also don't want to tell you it means less. Okay? So certainly there's an application here. To misuse the name of God certainly would be to use God's name in a casual, flippant way, talking about your car or the pancakes that are now burned or whatever the case may be. To use God's name in a less than holy way. In its context, Old Testament days, to, to use God's name in vain could also mean that you use God's name as a, like an oath on a promise you never intended to keep uh, or a bad promise or something like that. To use it deceitfully, you're, you're, a whole variety of things. But there are a couple I want to call out in particular. Leviticus 18, verse 21, and a whole host of similar texts with a little bit of searching, you can find a whole bunch of similar texts. The, the idea from God about profaning, misusing the name of God, it shows up in some other contexts, okay? Not just about some words you say. So profaning, to profane the name, to misuse the name. Specifically, numerous times, uh, this misuse of God's name is tied in with worshiping false gods or even what I'm going to put there, inappropriate worship, for lack of a better term. I'll explain that in just a moment. The worship of false gods. In other words, in the Old Testament days, as I think about Israel and so on, you've heard uh, we talk about the worship of Baal, the worship of Moloch, some of these gods that were prevalent in Old Testament cultures that surrounded God's people. But the idea was this. Some of you in, in, in this day who, who carry the name, right, You would identify yourself as a follower of the God of the Bible. You are also worshiping what? What are you doing? You're carrying the name as a follower of his, and you're worshiping some false God. And in doing so, you are profaning the name. You are misusing the name. You are taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's not just your words. It's where you, where you take his name. How about that? You're, you're walking in as a, as a representative of him. You're carrying the name. And you are worshiping Moloch. You're offering all kinds of, ter- some cases, child sacrifice. What are you doing? Uh, worshiping Baal, a fertility god, thinking, if I just worship Baal, I'll have better crops. Seems to work for all my neighbors. And God says, wait, 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 hold on. You carry my name. And you dare to trust all these other gods and do all this magic stuff to get to make more money. You're profaning my name. Wow. Now, Malachi, I referenced this one. Interesting conversation going on in the text. Malachi 1, God's having a conversation with his people. And he says, you know, you're, you're profaning my name. You're, you're misusing my name. And they say, what are we doing? What are you talking about? And he says, well, here's, here's what's going on. When you walk in with your, picture this now. When you walk in with your animal sacrifices, you know what you're bringing? Well, you know what they're supposed to be bringing, don't you? Old Testament days, you brought an animal, you're supposed to bring a good one. Um, you're supposed to check out the Passover lamb, for example. You're supposed to be perfect. Don't bring me one that just got run over by a truck, right? Manger, it's about to die. Hurry, take it down and give it to God. No. 
He says, and you're, you're bringing the lame and the blind. It's about animals that are being brought to worship for, to, to cover your sin. And you're bringing this mangy thing, flea-bitten wreck of an animal that's, you know, you wouldn't serve to your governor, God says. And you're saying, well, this is, this, this is good enough for God. I'll bring it sincerely, and surely it will be good enough for God. See what's going on? And God says, no, no, that's not how you worship me. You, you, don't, you don't waltz in and bring me your, your scraps. I mean, come on, seriously? That, that's how much you think of me, is it? Now, some people, right at this moment, go sideways. And we, we're, we are, oh my goodness sakes, we are woeful reductionists. Meaning we try to always lower the bar to a place we can jump over it. Don't we? I don't want to work that hard. So we, so we take what I've just said and we say, well, that means you need to dress a certain way to go to church. Not the point at all. Not the point at all. Uh, we need to make sure that our musicians don't miss it. You know, it's a C, it's not a C7. Not the point at all. Not the point at all. This, this whole thing is about you carrying the name of God. How, you, how do you see him? What is the weightiness of God to you? When you think of the name, the name of God, is it just a word? A couple different words? Or does it, or do you, do you see the names of God as representing all of who holy creator, righteous redeemer God is? Do you see this? And does that affect how you, how you address him and how you live before him? Now, you get the idea. I gave you an expression there. As a follower of the God of the Bible, you carry his name. Acts eleven twenty six says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Why did I put that on the study sheet? What's that about? They were called, they were called by a name. They were called by the name of Christ. That happened first in Antioch. It still continues today. They were called Christians. What does that mean? What does that mean to be called by the name of Christ? What does it mean to you? To carry his name. Is that a big deal to you? Or does it just mean you signed up for heaven? What does it mean? When we were young, some of us, back in the day, we learned a little song in Sunday school. Some of you probably know it. It goes something like this. Oh, be careful, little. Fill in the blank. You know, hands what you do. Oh, be careful. Be careful, little feet where you go. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say, or be careful, little eyes. What, you know, there's some pretty good theology here. You know, we didn't realize it at the time. We just thought it had a cool little, you know, it's pretty good theology. You carry the name of Jesus and you're going, you're going where with those feet? Just, just asking, where are you carrying the name? What are you, what are you doing with your eyes? What are you seeing? What are you doing with the name? You carry the name, you child of God. You carry his name with you. So what are you doing out of curiosity? I mean, do we think like this? Do you think like this as a follower of Jesus? Not intended to scare you like in some silly way. Is it intended to scare you in some good way? Well, yeah. I reverence this up a little bit. Now, so then, I want to move ahead. Third commandment, then, is surely a call to clean up our language. Certainly so. If the name of God, the name of Jesus, rolls across your lips in too casual of a way, it, I think this is a call for you to maybe knock that off out of respect for God. But it's more than that. 
It's a call to treat God himself as represented by his name, as truly holy and honorable. Yes, in our worship, in our lives, most certainly our words. And I'm struck by Jesus in John 17, who as he prays, think about this. Jesus, getting ready to go to the cross, ontologically, one of our big $5 words, in, he is equal, co-equal with the Father in glory, in holiness, in being, co-equal with the Father. He calls his Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father, when he prays. He doesn't walk in and say, Yo, Dad. Works for an earthly father. But even Jesus says, Righteous God, Righteous Father, Holy Father. Wow, do you pick up any lesson there? How we think about how we address. Now, down below, implications and response. Work with me here. I say to us, we live in a very, we live in a very casual day. I'm, I'm not going to beat us up for casual. I like casual Friday. I like Seahawk Jersey Friday. It's not about that. It's not about that. But sometimes our casualness wipes out things like respect, decorum, honor. And we are often met with things like lighten up. Don't take life so seriously. Hey, chill out. I'm just being myself. And we want to, ca- is this a word? Casualize? Is that a word? Well, it is now. It is now because it was used. We want to casualize everything. We do. Everything's casual. I'm not against casual, but, but, but everything, seriously. And I want to demonstrate to you, at least in two areas, we do understand that some areas are not to be taken casually. For example, I pointed out this week, uh, did you watch President Trump meets Queen Elizabeth? Did you pay attention to this? Now, this is not a political comment. I ran off one of the articles. I thought it was kind of fun to read royal etiquette for the Trump's visit colon. Don't kiss the queen. Well, again, it's not a politically based comment. I'm just saying if you meet Queen Elizabeth, you can be sure that before you do, you will be briefed on protocol. You may shake her hand if and only if she extends it to you. You don't kiss her on the cheek. You don't give her a hug. Uh, one of my this is before all this is a phrase that I remembered. It's so funny to me. Uh, royalty, right? Royalty. Uh, some years ago, somebody met Queen Elizabeth and shook her hand or wanted to or something. And the Queen's comment, I Googled, I couldn't find it. Her comment was, <clears throat> we do not press flesh. <laughs> I thought, well, pinky up. We do not, <laughs> we do not press flesh. All right, well. Apparently, we don't shake hands then. I don't know. I thought, wow, your majesty. There's, there's decorum if you meet the queen. And apparently, it passed. But the whole, the whole world watched. Another example. I won't drop any names on this one. But in our Rotary Club, we have several who are judges. Right? One of them is a man of, of evident dignity. He's not trying to be all that. He just is. He carries himself as a judge. He's a superior court judge, the honorable judge. He's not putting on airs. He's just, he walks in. He's, you know what I'm saying. And if you walked over to him and said, yo, judge, lighten up. I mean, it's not that he'd be offended. It just, it would be odd. If you stepped into his courtroom and the moment comes when the judge enters with the robes and the bailiff says, And what do you do? Stand up. 
What, are you going to sit there and go, boy, we're taking this seriously? Well, yes. And get up. Not about the man. It's about what he represents. Okay? So get up. You might find yourself in contempt of court. Uh, A little decorum would be nice. And I'm just saying this. If we understand it with royalty, we understand it with the judge, how can we not understand it with the God of the universe? How can we not get it? This God who sent his son, Jesus, to pay for our sin. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the dead. How, how can we miss it? How can we treat him lightly? Now, certainly the, the, the words we say, but the way we live before him. I mentioned on your study sheet here, Philippians 2. Paul ascribes to Jesus the name above all names. We sang that earlier. What a beautiful, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Name above all names, Paul says. At the name of Jesus. At the name. Why does he say that? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Because in Bible language, to speak about the name of Jesus is to speak about all that he is. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And I dare you to read Hebrews 12 and not sense the reverence that's called for. You say, that's Old Testament. No, it isn't. Last I checked, Hebrews was in the New Testament. Now, check it out. A reverence, a respect for the person in the presence of God. Wow. Things to look at. I hope, I hope today that as you think about the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or you shall not misuse the name. I hope that as we leave, we'll think more than, not less than, but certainly more than just about words we use. Our words matter. My lesson as a child was well taken. Certain things you just don't say, man. Out of reverence for God, just don't talk like that. But it's much more than that, isn't it? I hope you see that. We're going we're gonna to do something a little different here. Um, sometimes we stand and I pray first. We're going to sing a song first. Then when you're standing, then I'm going to come pray for us. But there's a song we're going to sing that I think brings punctuation to what I've said. And so we're going to do that. If you'd stand together, let's, let's sing holy, holy, holy. Then we'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Pray with me, please. Father, anytime we deal with with commands, we are struck by how poorly we keep them. So it is as we work through the Ten Commandments. Not a a checklist to earn your favor. We can't. Not just a checklist to make us feel bad about ourselves. But ultimately, ultimately, a checklist that tells us what you're like and points us to Jesus. A Savior we so desperately need because we are lawbreakers. How we thank you that you, while we were yet sinners, you saw our need and you sent Jesus, the perfect one, to redeem us, to pay for our sin, and then, and then to, to love us enough to stay with us and shape us and change our hearts. Our Father, we, we need the gospel to even step into your presence. We need the gospel daily to change us. Thank you, Father, we live before you in Jesus. Thank you for this day, for these dear people. Even as day camp happens, Father, we trust you with the details of that and with all the other things about church life that continue apart from day camp, and they do. 
Father, we trust you today with our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.